Welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's September 19th, 2019, and this is episode 33. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just on my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. New in theaters this weekend, we've got three big releases. First up is the film adaptation of the hit television drama Downton Abbey. As you all know, Downton Abbey was a big hit. Uh, It showed, uh, it was on PBS television here in the United States. And this film is the continuing story of the Crawley family, the wealthy owners of the large English estate in the English countryside, of which the, uh, you know, the series and now the film are named after. Uh, and it all takes place still in the early 20th century. This film was adaptation is directed by Michael Engler. And I think fans of the series will be happy to know that the screenplay is written by Julian Fellows, who is the creator of the original series. It looks like everyone is back that was uh, living at the time the series concluded its run in 2015. Uh, that includes Hugh Bonneville as Lord Grantham, Elizabeth McGovern as Lady Grantham, Maggie Smith as the Dowager Count- Countess of Grantham, <laughs> Jim Carter as Mr. Carson, Michelle Dockery as Lady Mary Crawley. The cast list goes on and on. Uh, I understand that this film covers a lot of ground with all of its major characters. So really, you know, my hope is that just the fans of the show... Uh, and I've got many friends and family that really adore this adore this show. Um, are going to love this film adaptation, and they'll be able to just enjoy a trip back to uh, Down Abbey. Uh, this film is rated PG for thematic elements, some suggestive material, and language. Next up is Ad Astra, which is an outer space drama from 20th Century Fox. It's directed by... Uh, James Gray, and it stars Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones. The summary uh, states that uh, astronaut Roy McBride, who is played by Brad Pitt, undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. I've heard that this film is beautiful and should be seen on the biggest screen possible. Um, I'm hoping to go see it in uh, IMAX this weekend. And I'm also just hoping that the film is good. So Ad Astra is rated PG-13 for some violence and bloody images and for some brief, strong language. Last up is <laughs> Rambo Last Blood, which is a super violent revenge pick. At least it sure appears to be from Lionsgate Pictures. Uh, it's directed by Adrian Grunberg and... Uh, of course, star stars Sylvester Stallone. If you can believe it, this is the fifth Rambo movie. The first one was First Blood in 1982. Most recent was just Rambo uh, in 2008. <laughs> uh, personally, I'm 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 more partial to Rambo First Blood two. So, which that was the second film in the series from 1985. I remember thinking that was a pretty awesome action uh, pick back in the day. Um, and of course, again, this film stars Sylvester Stallone in the title role 
and a bunch of people that I've never heard of before. Um, the official synopsis reads that almost four decades after he drew First Blood, Sylvester Stallone is back as one of the greatest action heroes of all time, John Rambo. Now, Rambo must confront his past and unearth his ruthless combat skills to exact revenge in a final mission. A deadly journey of vengeance, Rambo Last Blood marks the last chapter of the Legendary series. Um, you know, in the preview, as you as you might have seen, it looks like some bad dudes kidnap Rambo's a young relative. Could be his niece, or I'm not sure if it's a blood relative or not, but anyway, um, Rambo gets mad. And then this whole thing just looks like a violent and violent and vengeful and all the things that are part of these <laughs> Rambo movies. And, you know, we'll see if it's really Last Blood because it just always seems like, along with other Rocky movies, that Sylvester Stallone is able to keep these characters going on in perpetuity. So Rambo Last Blood is rated R for strong graphic violence, grisly images, drug use, and language. So, three new films to choose from this weekend in theaters. Downton Abbey, Ad Astra, and Rambo Last Blood. Classic Cinema Corner this week. I want to talk about another big screen movie experience I had. Actually, it was it was just last night. I went and saw a 40th anniversary screening of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, this is a film from 1979, hence the 40th anniversary uh, event. And uh, they showed the original 1979 theatrical cut. I understand that there's been a director's edition that has come out for the home video market, you know, uh, over the last uh, last few years. But this also featured uh, the film's original overture, which was really cool. I always love being able to, uh, you know, go see a movie on the big screen and, and they and they play an overture. It was pretty cool. It was before the overture. They also showed a little documentary, which talked about the making of the film and also just really the genesis of Star Trek uh, as a whole. So. Although this was the very first Star Trek film, as you may recall, Star Trek was also a TV series uh, that ran from 1966 to 1969. Now, one of these writers that they were interviewing in this little mini documentary um, stated that they believe this was the first TV series that was turned into a feature film. Now... I don't know if that's true, but let's go with it, okay? <laughs> if it's not the first, it's one of the first. And then it's interesting just to see really, you know, with the success of this of this movie, how it launched again a whole bunch of movies and then also all I think it was it was definitely a, played a part in all the successful TV series that have been going on and that, and that continue uh, to this day. So, the the uh, as I mentioned, the, the last episode of, of the TV series aired in 1969. So ten years later, this the uh, f they finally started you know working on this film at Paramount Pictures. 
So I mean, I guess you know it was a little, of course before ten years, but but it was it was released ten years after uh, this production, according to this little documentary and some of the other stuff that I've read was really troubled. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the series creator Gene Roddenberry was was heavily involved, as were many writers and many studio executives. In fact, one of the writers they talked, or one of the people they talked to in the interview, was saying there were countless studio executives. You know, so so I think that I think that it sounded like this was in this film was really in kind of a production hell sort of sort of setup, but they were able to bring in the director Robert Wise and which I think was a real coup and it sounds like I think we you know we can thank Robert Wise for really um, bringing this production together in the way that in the way that it came together uh, Robert Wise as you know is the director of uh, West Side Story The Sound of Music uh, he's got an incredible resume, and he's just an extremely talented director. I, you know, at least I think, and and I think you know many share that share that opinion too. So, uh, the film also reunited the original cast from the TV series. So William Shatner was back as James T. Kirk, Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock, DeForest Kelly as um, Bones McCoy. Walter Koenig as Chekhov, Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant O'Hara, George Takai as Sulu, and then, of course, James Doohan as uh, Scotty, the ship's engineer. Also along for the ride in this film were Persis Kambata, who played Ilya, and Stephen Collins, who played Commander Decker. Uh, the plot of this movie, which we won't necessarily go into a lot, but... Uh, just in case you haven't seen it, um, when an alien spacecraft of enormous power is spotted approaching Earth, James T. Kirk, who has actually now he's now Admiral James T. Kirk, resumes command of the overhauled USS Enterprise in order to intercept it. Now, the film, in a lot of ways, given you know that it came out in 1979, even though it had been in development for a while, was really a a response to the runaway success of Star Wars, which was released in the summer of 1977. And uh, they brought in a, a really impressive team of special effects folks and and did the same thing that was done in Star Wars, where they created um, middle, you know, miniatures and models and then were filming that because, again, this was really still... Um, Early on in the days of of digital effects, I mean, they just really didn't exist the way that we, of course, know know them uh, today. There's an interview with the special effects wizard Douglas Trumbull. I'll put a link to this in the podcast notes. But he did the special effects or supervised the special effects for for this film. And and uh, there's so this interview on the website. Ask him about it. Um, one of the things that he stated was that the movie really is an attempt to elevate the genre from being seen strictly as an episodic television series to instead being a big epic sci-fi film spectacle. Uh, and and he's quoted as saying, "I think that's that was achieved, 
And that's what I was trying to help do. That's what Bob Wise was trying to do, and that's what the studio was trying to do. And according to him, uh, mission accomplished. And he states that the movie looks better and better to me every time I see it. Now, I have to say, too, I really thought the film looked great for the most part as well. I hadn't seen it for many years, and I also remember seeing it as a little kid, as a kid, and I was I just remember being really bored, and I I can remember you know seeing it again why why I was bored, uh, which I'll go to in a sec. But the uh, the film really again there's there's a lot of beauty in these old school special effects, uh, and and also just. I was really wowed by by many of them too. Just thinking, how did they do that? If they weren't using a lot of, uh, you know, CGI, how, how did they, how did they uh, create it? One of the things that I that I again I didn't really appreciate it as a kid, but I hope I can appreciate better now is what Robert Wise did, and he used a lot of really long shots of of going around. Uh, the USS Enterprise, for example, also going through uh, the kind of the enemy spaceship or the the, the uh, you know the mysterious spaceship that's that's uh, hurling towards Earth. Um, there's a lot of really long shots in there. At least they, they they feel like they're long, but they're actually quite beautiful. And then with the soundtrack uh, that was written by composer Jerry Goldsmith. It actually is, is was part of I think the the, the pleasure of the experience uh, of this you know the cinematic experience particularly of seeing it on the big screen again. Jerry Goldsmith also has a really cool interview out on it's, uh, out, it's out on uh, the main Star Trek website and I'll put a link to it uh, in the podcast notes. But as I mentioned, you know this tr- this production was troubled and. Jerry Goldsmith is quoted just saying, "I was miserable." <laughs> uh, he, I'll, I'll just go ahead and quote him: Four months from the December seventh, nineteen seventy nine release date of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, um, he only had a limited amount of footage and had uh, to begin recording in a month. It was hardly an ideal situation, and it would get worse before it got better. Uh, but then, as we all know, Goldsmith's score would go on to become an iconic part of, of, of Star Trek. Um, the issues in the motion pictures production were far larger than the music. Paramount had given the film a budget of $46 million and locked in the release date while there were still story problems, not to mention visual effects difficulties. Subsequently, the post-production process was manic, and Goldsmith was writing music as fast as he could with what little he had. But when he put his music in front of the orchestra to record, director Robert Weiss was less than thrilled. Um, Weiss said, It's not working. I listened to the first couple of pieces and it didn't seem quite right to me. I got visions of sailing ships somehow. Uh, Goldsmith admitted that he basically just said, I was crushed. Um... Wise actually went into you know as just yeah, as as a good director and I think as 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 the good man that he that he was went to explain to Goldsmith the problems that he had with the music and the main thing he was saying that there was really no theme um, specifically there was no like you know quote unquote Star Trek theme 
And so Goldsmith struggled on, but 10 days later, after this, you know, initial playing of, of, of the theme for Robert Wise, um, uh, uh, Wise approved it. And, and his comment was, why didn't you come up with that in the first place? <laughs> so, uh, and you know, again, the music is just one of the great things about this film. It's, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I loved hearing that overture, uh, and the opening credits, the, you know, the music is, the music is fantastic. And then, and throughout, it's just something that I really, really, uh, enjoyed. I was just really happy to see this film again with adult eyes. Uh, it just felt like it was a really beautiful and a really detailed episode of the TV show, which again was was probably the uh, intent. Although that maybe that also was causing a lot of the friction behind the scenes as they were as they were scrambling to get this movie uh, movie made. So I was also talking about those really long shots that that Robert Wise employed um, that I that I thought were really boring. I think maybe some of them still could <laughs> maybe a little bit too long. But to see it on the big screen and to look at all the detail of the models and a lot of the stuff that they were doing, um, it's just strangely beautiful. I just found myself almost quite mes mesmerized by it. Also, another thing I really loved was given that this film was you know came out in 1979, they created such great sets for this film. Just the hallways of the of the uh, USS Enterprise and the bridge, things that we'd all be of course familiar from the TV show, but they were using the they were using a, a like a 1970s color palette, all this great burnt orange color and uh, these really cool grays and blues. Um, I thought all the costumes, again, were very simplistic and very Star Trek-like, but they used a very different color palette and and different kind of fabrics, and I I, I thought they all looked um, just just terrific. So uh, Star Trek the motion picture, it's you know it's far from perfect. Again, it's some of the stuff could be could be considered either kind of boring or interesting because it's not really it's really not an action picture there's some there's some there's some action but it's really more of a think piece or or just kind of a ponderous long episode <laughs> of uh of star trek but it's so fun to see the 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 original cast reunited uh and and you, you a lot of the shots i looked at and i thought you know clearly that's something that Robert Wise probably put together, and, and they were really, um, really beautiful. And again, it turned it into a more of a of a sci-fi spectacle than than uh, than just you know um, uh, a TV series from the '60s. So if you haven't if you haven't seen it lately, or if you have never seen it at all, I would definitely recommend. And particularly if you're a sci-fi fan, I would definitely recommend checking out. Uh, Star Trek the motion picture from 1979 and again I'll have a link to the the main site out on um, StarTrek.com there are a lot of different versions of uh, of the film too as I mentioned there's a director's cut and whatnot but but I think everything's pretty easily um, 
accessible and available out on uh, your on Amazon or, or your favorite movie uh, rental sites. Well, that does it for this episode of the Movies Past and Present Podcast. Again, links and more information about all of the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. As always, I hope you'll enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Until next time, thanks for listening, and see you at the movies. <laughs>